to Philippians chapter 2. For those of you who have a Bible in front of you, it is page 980. 980. We have been in a four-week long series from Philippians chapter 2, verse 5 through 11, and we are finally wrapping it up. Who would have thought that it would take four weeks to get through just those number of verses? Missio Day Church does. It takes forever to get through stuff. So we are going to be looking at, specifically tonight, verses 9, 10, and 11. 9, 10, 11. One of my favorite pastors and one of my favorite um, musicians, Christian music uh, hymn writers, is Matt Boswell. And uh, he and his partner, Matt Papa, have written a hymn. And last year they came out, came out with a hymn called, Come Adore the Humble King. Listen to his, the lyrics of this second verse of this song. Come adore in humble state. He the song of angels. Join the wise who call His name and with all creation. Who, oh who could condescend? God unknown now calls us friend. Love that none could comprehend. Oh praise the humble King. This is perhaps one verse in one song that portrays all that we have been talking about in these past, the past previous three weeks. We want to think as a church, we want to think rightly, we want to think biblically about who Jesus is. And in doing that, we, the most important thing is not the circumstances that surround this birth. It's not the most important thing isn't that the angels were there or that there were shepherds out in the field. Those are great things. It's the not important about this star out there. Those are all circumstances. The most important thing for us to understand is who is this child? Because we want to adore him. We want to praise him. The, the one who is ever God is also God with us. The one who is the king of angels is now born in the likeness of men. This is humility on display. So we have seen in our sermon series the highest of heights and the lowest of lows. And we have been living in this tension about the depth of God's love for us in Jesus Christ. And I personally have loved just sitting and marinating in these few verses, thinking through Christ's coming. Thinking about the person of Christ and in thinking about Him, Finding myself in worship, loving the, the hymns, not just because they're, they're sentimental, but because they tell us a story of this Christ. So in this, we see something that is breathtaking, awe-inspiring. It's just awesome. We see Christ who is, if you will, a strong man who condescends, who comes down in our weakness. And what does He do? He comes underneath all the sins of the world. Every sin of the world. Ever committed, being committed now, and will be committed in the future. He comes underneath it, and it's almost like He's lost underneath it. And what does He do? He rises up 
carrying every one of our sins and walking away with it as far as the east is from the west. So far is our sins from us. Christ bears our sins. But in another way, Christ is like a diver. Christ dives into our humanity, into our muck and our mire, and He goes to the lowest of lows. And what does He do? When we think He can do no more, when we don't think that He comes up, what does He do? He comes up in His hand with a treasure. And do you know what that treasure is? You. You are His prized treasure. And He came up with you in His hand. You are worth everything to Him. You are worth so much to Him that He would choose to condescend, that He would shrink down to the lowest of lows. So for the past few weeks, we've been looking at the lowest of Christ, and now in one millisecond, we see this skyrocketed exaltation of Christ. And we're going to see in these last few verses how it was God Himself who exalted this Christ. It was ultimately all creation is going to exalt Christ. And ultimately how God is glorified in exalting Christ. So my prayer is for us, Missio Dei Church, for us as a church family, that as we look at a familiar passage, this Christ Hymn in Philippians chapter 2, that we've grown familiar with, that we will be the kind of people who stare at Christ in awe of Christ and find ourselves transformed and changed. So we are going to be reading verses 5 through 11, and then we're going to be focusing on that last little bit. So my friends, would you stand for the reading of God's holy word After I'm done reading, I will say this is the Word of God, and you will respond with, thanks be to God. Hear God's holy Word, starting at verse 5. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God as a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking on the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed upon him the name that is above every name. So at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. My friends, this is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. So the first thing that we are going to see in this section is that God the Father has exalted, has elevated Christ. And before I just jump into it, sometimes pastors get caught up on a singular word. And for me, this singular word that I'm getting caught up on is the word therefore. And you're going, you're going to do a whole point on the word therefore? Welcome to Missio Dei Church. Yes, this word is a connector word. So it's signaling something has happened, right? Something. So therefore, something is going on. So the first half of this section... Verses 5 through 8 
It is putting on display the humility of Christ, the one who condescended and came down as a child born in a manger. Every step was taken lower than the one before. The first step maybe wasn't so much a a step, but a statement of reality. It's a statement of, listen, this is who I am. I am a servant. God is a servant. Even before He put on flesh, He has always been the King of humility. He did not count, though, equality with God, something to be grasped, something to be fought for. So what did He do? He added flesh to He took on form. He became man. He became our likeness. That's crazy. Think about it. The uncreated one who has always been and will forever be puts on flesh. He puts on flesh. Then on top of that, not only did he put on flesh, he lived the perfect life, an obedient life, flawless life on our behalf. But then we see in another step that he does work on a cross. As he hung there in the most shameful of punishments, the most shameful of excruciating death sentences, he hung on the cross and upon him all of our sins were on His shoulder. All of humanities. And then at the lowest of lows, as if a criminal's death was not enough, we see Him dying. And this was as low as He goes. Christ plummeted from the highest of heights to the deepest of depths. And He did this, my friends, for us. So this word, therefore, is, if you will, a hinge for the rest of Paul's hymn. Because Christ did not stay dead. Christ did not stay dead. But instead, He shoots into glory a million miles an hour in the resurrection of Christ. Therefore, and now what happens? God the Father exalts Him. And we see that in verse 9. So there we go. I'm off my my one-word point. But the funny, geeky thing for me is that if you look in the original language, there is this Greek word for highly exalted. Our English language does not do any kind of justice. That word, highly highly exalted, is almost like a surfer word. Dude. He's like super exalted. Paul could find no other Greek word. So what did Paul do? He created a word to describe the highest of heights, the super heights, the super exalted. There was no language that Paul could use. So he created a word to show how high, super duper, way over the top exalted. No one else. There's no vocabulary to describe the highest of heights of how Christ is super exalted. Christ is the exalted one. No one is more worthy. So we can see that God now bestows upon Christ the name that is above every other name. We we sing about that as a church. You're the name above all names. You are worthy to be praised. How great is our God. 
Sing with me. How great is our God. But what does that mean? That Christ has the name above every other name. Is that like saying Paul's name is better than Ryan's name? There could be an argument there. But his, Christ's name, is actually the name above every other name. And Jesus has names and names and names. If you, if you look throughout Scripture, he is the Alpha and the Omega. He is the Lord of Lords, the King of Kings. He is the Good Shepherd. He is the Lamb of God. He is the Light of the World. He is the Way, the Truth, and the Life. He is also known as the Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, and the Prince of Peace. He has all these names. This is the Christ we worship. And He has he is too great to have just one name. But, so we tried to do our very biblically best to give Him the name that He deserves. And so what is this name that Paul says that God put on Him? The name is Lord. It doesn't sound fancy. But it's basically God saying, Son, You are God. You are the Lord. You are the King. You are it. So Christ in His very nature is God. He is equal with God. And now by the end of this song of Christ humbling Himself step by step, He is given the name above all other names. God. So one of the things that I hope that is true for us as a church community is that we never lose wonder of this one who has the name above every other name. That we don't get lost in all the tinsel and the lights and the pageantry and the office parties and the family get-togethers and the great foods and the sugar galore. But instead, we get caught up in the name above all other names. That our focus when we get together Tonight and tomorrow is not on food, not on family traditions, though they're dearing, endearing, but we get caught up around a tree saying, do you understand what this is all about? The name above all names. Because here's the reality. Second point is that ultimately all creation will exalt Christ. In verse 10, at the name of Jesus Every knee will bow in heaven, on earth, and even under the earth. Every knee will bow. So after God exalts him to the name above all other names, this baby in the manger who is going to have the name above all names, now he is saying, listen, when Christ breaks into your your reality, here's here's what's going to happen. Angels are going to sing. Shepherds are going to show up. Wise men are going to show up later. And they are ultimately going to bow their knee before this child. But it's not just them. They are in a long line of people who are going to bend the knee at the name of Jesus. And verse 10 is a picture of worship and exaltation of Christ. And it leaves, my friends, No one out. There's not one person in this room that this does not apply to. Ultimately, at some point, we will bend the knee. Whether you acknowledge Him as Lord and Savior of your life, or whether you say, I don't really care. At some point in your life, you are going to 
meet your Maker. Either as Lord of your life, one that you love, worship, and adore, the one who is worthy of all your praise, worthy of all your time, your efforts, your thoughts, or you are going to respond to Him as your judge. The one who is going to bring an account of your life. So Christ is the King and Savior, or else Christ is your King and Judge. So the question I have for you is, who is this Christ to you? Is He your King and Savior, or your King and Judge? To us who bow the knee to Christ right now in this life comes forgiveness, life, and hope. We get something right now today of peace that passes all understanding in the midst of a world that is a a total mess. And we also know that in a life to come, we will live a life where there's no more sorrow. There's no more tears. And some of you have experienced it even in this life. No more sorrows. No more tears. No more suffering. But joy and life, and true happiness that is everlasting. But if you are here this evening and you have not bowed your life and your your knee to Christ, and you have not said that He is King, Romans 10 is very, very clear. And it's a call, my friend. Do not wait another day. Romans 10 says to believe in your heart and to confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord. Believe it. Understand your condition. Understand what God says about us. And His remedy is this child who came for you. How will you respond? My friends, don't wait another day. The reality is all creation is going to get in on the worship of Christ. All of creation. Do not be left. But finally, we see this final thing that God in this Christ child and in the person and work of Christ is exalted. He is glorified in exalting Christ. Verse 11, there's that little phrase that we could just kind of move right on over because it feels like Christianese or Bible jargon to the glory of God the Father. The reality is this means a lot. There's a lot banking on this. This means that that Christ has done absolutely everything. Everything. Everything that He has done has been done not for His glory, but so that God would be glorified. And and God, in doing this, in exalting His Son, he, He says, look, look, this is, this is beautiful. This is the way it's supposed to be. I am delighting in you. I'm delighting in my son. The father is forever delighting in the work that his son has done on our behalf. Some of us who have, have sons, when they do amazing things, we just sit back and go, I love it. Look what he's done. Chip off the old block. Right? 
Or you look at your daughters and you are just, there's something that swells in your heart with pride. Well, magnify this a gajillion times. I don't know how many zeros that is, but multiply it a gajillion times. God is glorified and proud of the work that His Son has done. There's no competition going on in the Trinity of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. There's no competition for who's going to get more glory. God, co-eternal, co-existent, is happy in this act. And in this unique window of redemption, I think this song is saying that God is uniquely glorified in the faithfulness of His Son pouring Himself out. But we also want to note that God is glorified in the worship of His Son. My friends, when every knee bows and every tongue confesses, what are they confessing? That Jesus is Lord. I want you to know that there is no jealousy in God's heart about this. It's what He's always wanted. That His people would praise His Son. You see, the Father has always been planning out salvation. And the Son secured it. And now the Holy Spirit seals it in their heart. This year, day, church, every time that we get together for worship on the Lord's Day, on Sunday, we get a little foretaste of that. It's called an eschatological vision. And you're going, I have no clue what he just said. But it basically means that we get a foretaste of glory divine. When we sing together, it doesn't have to be in four-part harmony, because I've sung by some of you. It's not always beautiful. But when we sing together, when we lift up our voice, when we open our Bibles, when, when we take communion together, when we do all of these things, we in some way are proclaiming to the world about the day that Jesus is going to be coming back again, where every tongue is going to confess. We're confessing it here together. But someday, someday, as we are worshiping, we know that someday every tongue is going to confess and every knee is going to bow. Everyone is going to do that. So when we gather together, it's a picture of what we ultimately will be like someday. If you hate singing now, get used to it. Because in heaven, it's going to be something that you are going to be doing a lot. Not with little harps, like little fat cherubs. But you are going to be, man, in the, in the new earth that is going to be absolutely perfect, where there's no flaws. You are going to be walking around, plowing your field, doing your work, because we are going to be doing work in the new heavens and the new earth. We are going to be singing, God is so good. Look at that, look at that asparagus shoot. Can you believe it? Another one came up. Praise be to God. And we're going to be doing it with brothers and sisters that look very different from us. Very different. If you want a glimpse of it, look at Revelation chapter 5. I'm not going to get into it. But every tongue, nation, tribe, color, shade, hue, they are all going to be gathering around that throne and worshiping Jesus Christ. 
And I am praying, my friends, that we, when we sing together, even these, we're going to sing again pretty soon, that when we sing together, you get a glimpse of heaven. Oh, of glory divine. Not because they're good singers or good musicians, but because of who we are singing to. So when I started, I shared a verse from Matt Boswell and Matt Pappas' song, Come Adore the Humble King. Let me end with his last verse. And I pray that this will be true of us. Come adore the King who came to our world to save us. Born to heal our prideful race. Crown him, crown us with forgiveness. Fall, oh fall before the one who in mercy left his throne. Christ the Lord, God's only Son, his glories now we sing. Oh praise the humble King. So my friends, we are going to sing again after we pray. We are going to sing to that humble king and enjoy him. So my friends, let's pray.